0: Here we go. First of all, God is the sovereign. sovereign creator of all things. That's right. God is the sovereign creator of all things. And again, remember these are these are the the points that are in the in that book that uh, helping children understand the gospel by Truth Seventy Eight. That's a great resource for uh, for discipling your children. Right. So, number one, God is the sovereign creator of all things. Number two, God. Created people for His glory. God created God created people for His glory. All right, number three. God is holy and righteous. That's right. God is holy and righteous. Remember those; those will come back to serve you today. Um, next, number four. Man is sinful. That's right. And number five. God is just and right to punish sin he is just and right to punish sin we are unable to save ourselves we are completely dependent upon his mercy all right so if this is the if this is the situation if if god is the sovereign creator of all things he created everything that exists nothing exists that he didn't create he's uh, he owns everything he created he, he is king over everything he owns including you and me right if he is holy and uh, righteous in his character and his his commands are holy and righteous and they show us how to how to give glory to god right how do we obey how do we uh, how do we give glory to god we give god glory by loving him and doing what he commands his commands show us how to be holy and righteous, but we must obey all of them all the time, right? So then we talk about how man is sinful. We are created in his image, made for the purpose of reflecting his glory to the rest of creation, but we have failed, right? We are not holy and righteous. We are sinful. We are sinful in our, and by actions. We are sinful by Uh, By attitudes, and we are sinful by nature, right? And we talked about how God is just and right to punish sin, right? He is the impartial judge. We we don't have any advantage standing before Him, right? And that He in His His uh, His just and right punishment for sin is eternal death, right? Being, uh, what's the word for it? suffering under his wrath against our sin forever in hell. That's not a pretty picture. And there's no appeal, right? Um, there's no there's no trying to weasel our way out of it. And so if this is where we stand, then how, how, what is the answer for this horrible reality? Is there any hope at all? Our greatest problem is the fact, as we said recently, as we said previously, that God is holy and righteous. So he's not going to allow us to, to somehow, again, make a deal with him. But the, God, but the Bible also tells us in his word, and this is where it gets complicated. The Bible also tells us, as we go back for a moment and think about God's character, not only is he holy and righteous, but that he is gracious and merciful. And so I want you to see this point number six is that God is merciful God is merciful. He is kind to undeserving sinners. Someone read for me there uh, Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Then look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Somebody read that for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we see that God again is gracious and he's merciful. And let's define those terms, right? God is gracious. Grace is the, the a simple definition for us, and this is receiving a gift, receiving a gift that you don't deserve. Right? Unearned favor, right? Receiving a gift, a kind gift that you don't deserve and then mercy would be the flip side of that not receiving a punishment you do deserve Now that ain't good english but but it, it shows the point right not getting a punishment that you do deserve all right so god tells us in his word that he is holy and righteous and he is gracious and merciful In fact, we see those things side by side as God reveals himself to Moses back in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Somebody want to read those for us? Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in all loving kindness and truth. He keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means lead the guilty of Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so this is the mystery of the Bible. How is it possible that God can love and be merciful to sinners while not leaving the guilty unpunished? He is righteous, and therefore, because He's righteous, He has no choice but to condemn guilty sinners. And in the midst of this, uh, let's take a step back and think about what's going on in our culture. Anytime that I've heard somebody that doesn't know Christ talk about the Bible, talk about the gospel, I usually hear the same question. Maybe the wording's a little different each time, but the same basic question's being asked. Right? The question would be, how can a good God send anyone to hell? Right? If he's really good, right? Now, I would want to go through, like we've talked about before, I would want to look at some definitions for some of those words. What do you mean by good? Right? But the problem with, with this kind of question is that it comes from a worldview. Every question, every song, every movie, every book, every article, right? all of them have a worldview. And basically put, how would you define a worldview? you. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about in general. How would you define a worldview? How we look at things. Yeah, it's the way you look at the world, right? So this would be, this worldview that this question comes from, I would call it a man-centered worldview. A man-centered worldview. uh, So a man-centered worldview views the world as if everything revolves around man, around you, or around me. Uh, but a man-centered worldview, as we've already seen, is just an effect of sin. It's idolatry. It says that I'm the center. I'm the king. Everything must focus upon or bow down to me and my tastes and my desires, my wants, my preferences. It's kind of like the, uh, uh, if you'll excuse the, the illustration, it, it's kind of like this highly, uh, this highly um, educated professor named Professor Weston. Uh, He's a character in C.S. Lewis's uh, science fiction book called The Out Out of the Silent Planet, uh, written in 1938. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and spoil some things for you. You've had quite a few years to to read the book, so you're on your own. Um, If somebody's, you know, I'll understand. So uh, it's kind of like Professor Weston. He was a highly educated physicist, and so he builds this rocket to go to another planet. And so... He is, uh, then he, and so he ends up on Mars, and he, is, uh, he has this plan. This plan is really to mine Mars of its resources, take over the, the Martians that live there. Did you know, according to C.S. Lewis, there are Martians on Mars? <laughs> Interesting. So, But he is, they have, in, in this assembly, uh, Weston has been arrested, and so he is now boldly proclaiming in front of the Martians about man's superiority and how we have excelled at everything we've ever done and how we will uh, how we will quickly come as a race to take over Mars, to, Mar- to again, to strip it of its resources, to take over other planets as well. And So as he's doing this, as he's declaring these things, and little side note, he has picked up some broken Martian language along the way. And so the way that C.S. Lewis writes this, to contrast... Like the great certainty and the incredible education of this man, he's doing all these things and really, it, for the reader's purposes, broken English. We very great. We come take your take your sun blood. I think is what he calls gold. Uh, we take your sun blood, and if you know, scare me. We come with with fire stick. Boom, poof, bang, gone. Right, so. This man, who is like one of the most educated people on the planet, is reduced to sounding like an utter buffoon. And so, as he's doing this, there is this noise that's building amongst this crowd of Martians. And so, he thinks that they're either trying—they're angry, and so they're yelling at him out of anger, or they're in fear. And what he doesn't realize is that they're laughing at him because he sounds like a moron. (laughs) So, this is the world. This is the man-centered worldview in the eyes of God. Right, So again, we see the man-centered worldview, and this is there in your notes. The man-centered worldview says, how can a good God send anyone to hell? How can a good God send anyone to hell? Well, the man, or sorry, the God-centered worldview, the, the biblical worldview would say, how can the good God or this good God not send everyone to hell? This is the dilemma that if we are if you if you're reading along throughout the Bible from beginning to end, which I encourage you to do, what a perspective develops if you start at Genesis and you just work your way through. And just keep in mind, I'm not trying to bring in everything else that I know from everyone. Just follow the story as it goes through. And so this is the question we start seeing. And, and again, Exodus 34 is very early, isn't it? So we see this question very early on. Gracious? And will not leave the guilty unpunished? So, um, and the answer, praise God, the answer to all of this, we find out in Matthew 1, 1, right? The, the gospel, the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. Jesus is the answer, right? So at number seven, there in your notes, Jesus is, anybody remember, was it point number three? Point number three, God is holy and righteous. Point number seven, Jesus is God's holy and righteous son. Those those words were chosen carefully because John 1, 1 through 5 says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything that exists, and nothing exists that He did not create. And Him is life, and that life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness uh, it cannot understand, it cannot comprehend, it cannot extinguish. It is the is what the uh, I, I try to recite those, but then all the different translations start creeping in. So, um, but that's again John one uh, one through one through five there. Um, so, and in, and in this passage, we see this word, word. You see that there in your notes, right? This word, word, with a capital W. Did you notice that in the scripture? It's, it's a capital W. It means it's a name. It's a proper noun. It's a title for Jesus. And so you could go back and you could read John 1. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. So let's skip on ahead then toward, uh, toward the end of John chapter 1 and look at verse 14 and then 17 through 18. Did somebody want to read those for me? the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and 17 yes sir for the law was given through Moses grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ no one has seen God at any time the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father he has explained him amen Amen. So I want to just—I didn't put this in the notes. Didn't have time to, to make that clear. But as we look at this, a, and the word who Jesus, Jesus became flesh. And so the way that uh, uh, the way that I would teach this in in, uh, in in Korea was was like this: that that God, that Jesus, God the Son, took to Himself a human nature. He's not just God with skin on, right? But he he has this 100% nature of of being God and he takes to himself another nature, a different nature. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2 where he says that he took the very form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. So now we see God is 100% God. He is also 100% man. He is the God man. And so we have to remember that. This is this amazing doctrine called the hypostatic union, right? That Christ took to himself the human nature. So that it's not just, uh, he's not just one or the other. He's not even a mixture of the two. But he is both completely at the same time. All right. So um, we see again, the word is a title for Jesus. We see there, uh, we, we looked at John 1. Let's look at John, or sorry, Colossians 1, 15 through 17. This may help us fill in some areas as well. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. In 17. Yes, sir. He is before all things, and in him all things held together. I love that. He is the image of the invisible God. Right? If you've seen, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, for by him all things are created. That sounds like John 1, doesn't it? Right? Um, both seen and unseen, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things created through him. Again, goes back to, to John 1. By him, right, he created everything that exists, and without him, there was not anything made that was made. Right? All things uh, through him and for him. right? That makes me think of Romans 11. After all that doctrine, Paul bursts forth into praise, and he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. All right, and then he says, uh, "All things are. He is before all things in rank and importance. He is, that, and he says later on that in him all things may, or he that in all things he may have the preeminence. Right, he is before all things, and in him, in him all things consist. It's not just that God made all things, but He made them with the distinct properties in which they are intended to function, and not only that, but." Hebrew, I think it's Hebrews, also says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that's what he's saying here in Colossians, that Jesus Christ himself, that he causes all those things that he made, with all their attributes that they were made to function with, he causes them to actively persist in those qualities. You are breathing in oxygen right now and expelling carbon dioxide because christ designed you that way and he continues to maintain your body so that it does another way to say this again that in him another way to say in him all things consist would be that in him all things are held together i love that about our god and so that helps us understand miracles right This is a different topic entirely, but that does help us understand miracles. If God created everything to function a certain way and he actively maintains and, and, and orchestrates history so that those things work or work the way that he created them to do so, a miracle then is where he temporarily suspends the rules of the things that he's upholding by the word of his power anyway so that they function differently temporarily for his glory. That's what a miracle is. Everything else is providence. When God directs normal circumstances in such a way that therefore are good and for his glory, that's called providence. When he temporarily suspends the rules uh, or in this uh, this specific corner of his creation so that something is supposed to work one way, like water that you can't stand upon, and then Jesus stands upon it and walks across the water, that's a miracle where he temporarily suspends the rules and causes this thing to, fo- to work that way for his glory. So um, again, in him, uh, he is before all things, and in him, all things consist. 1 John 3, 8, who can read that for us? Amen. We see that now. So we've we been talking about his. We're gonna. We're starting to transition here. Do you see this? That he was manifested. Yes, we saw that. Right. We saw that in Colossians one. We see that in uh, John one. But now we're seeing that he was he was revealed. He was manifested for a purpose. Right. And I love the, the first one we get to look at is that he came to destroy the works of the devil. How did he do that? Well, uh, 1 Timothy 2 5 gives us a little bit more detail. Someone read that for us. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. So he came as the mediator. I love when Job, uh, arguing with his friends, and he stands up and says, I wish somebody would mediate between me and God. I wish someone would stand in the gap. Right here he is the man Christ Jesus the only one in all of in all of history that has ever qualified to do so and he came right and then uh, let's look back a chapter First 1 Timothy 1.15. gives us a little more more clarity about how he came to mediate how he came to destroy the the works of the devil someone read one fifteen It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save save sinners, among whom I am chief. Amen. So, let's go back to the garden for a second. We'll think about how again, what was Satan's aim? He was to make war against God through His people, right? He lied to them, ensnared them with a lie, uh, helped them to or, uh, to to get kind of off in the ditch here to to desire to be like God, to be God just as Satan does, right? Satan's idea was, I will ascend, I will I will take the throne, I will be like the Most High, right? And so he was kicked out of heaven, he, he failed, but he his secondary strategy is to do what? To ensnare God's people, the pinnacle of God's creation, to give God essentially a slap in the face, right? And so he does that by... Snaring uh, Adam and Eve alright so that then what happens mankind though created good though created very good is now marred and twisted by sin not destroyed but marred and twisted and disfigured by sin uh, spiritually now dead cut off from God right so now we see God's plan from before time began has always been To save sinners. And so now let's look at how he did that. Point number eight God put the punishment of sinners on Jesus. I want to see if you can tell me what verse this is loosely quoting from. God put the punishment of sinners on Jesus so that his righteousness might be put on them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody tell me that verse? It does sound a little bit like John three sixteen. That's true. It Has the word imputed? Doesn't. It? Not not the one that I'm thinking of. Second Corinthians five, yeah. 5 twenty one. Yeah. Romans five is good too. I like that one too. Okay. We're going to get to all of those. I think. I think most of those are here in the in these notes. But uh, so Second Corinthians five twenty one it says for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him that is a mouthful right so what I've got there in your notes is I want us to break down this passage and ask some questions right when when your Sunday school teacher when your pastors are are preparing to teach a lesson usually they start out by asking questions who's that. What did they do? How did they do that? Where did that come from? All these kinds of things. So, let's go through, because there's a lot of pronouns here, right? Pronouns are a word that that uh, replaces a noun, right? So, let's look. And he, who's that? God. God. God the Father. That's right. God the Father. And for he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus the Son, to be sin for us. The Mankind, believers, church. the church. There you go. That we, same one, right? The church, believers, might become the righteousness of God. That's a noun. We don't have to define that one. In Him, who? Jesus. In Jesus. Okay? Man, look at how just asking questions of the passage, the whole thing just unfolds. Right? Right? So there you go. For he, the Father, made him who knew no sin, Jesus the Son, to be sin for us, believers, the church, that we, believers, the church, might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus the Son. Okay. But he also became—I put mankind, because he also was for the non-believers. That right? is true. He's, <laughs> and that's a—that's a question that we can that we can talk about afterwards. I would love but to they talk they about accept it. Accepted or not, he still did it for them. Right, everyone receives, everyone receives the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection, right. but not all receive it in the same way. Right, right. The, think about the cultural impact of, of Christianity, right? The reason that we have some, I mean, all these hospitals around us that have a saint's name or Baptist or Methodist or something like a lot of these were started as nonprofits by churches, right? We think about, I mean, the idea of charitable giving, that's the church, friends. Right? There's so many ways in which the world is, though broken and twisted and marred by sin, is better because of the church's present presence in it. But it doesn't really matter if the church is present in it if if somebody didn't redeem the church, right? So I agree that 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 there is that. I mean, the the, the whole world does receive incredible benefits from from. Uh, from the death and resurrection of Christ, but they don't receive it all in the same way, especially for those who repent and believe. Does that make sense? Let's talk more about that afterwards. We got we got to press on. It goes a lot deeper. Yeah. Oh I'm man! Now. Holy cow! No, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. So let's go. So now, um, how did he do this? All we have Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. How did this happen? Well, Romans three twenty three through twenty six kind of gives us gives us an even deeper picture of what this looks like. We'll go ahead and read that for you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We talked about that last week, didn't we? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus there's a lot of big words in there but you know what else is a big word mayonnaise Did you know that you ever seen that written down on a page it's not like how we how we pronounce it down here mayonnaise it's, it's a long word. So it, the Bible uses big words, so we need to use big words too. So let's go back through, let's define a couple of these words. Justify. Justify. To be declared righteous. Not just to declare, but to be declared righteous. Note the passivity there. It's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. To be declared righteous. Redemption. Redemption. The act of gaining or regaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. A price. A payment. A payment has to be made. Let's let's just stop and look back at at the verse then. So we see, um, For all sin falls short of the glory of God, being justified, declared righteous, freely, by His grace. God's not under any... There's no there's no pressure on God. He would be completely righteous and good to not do this, but he's free to do whatever he wants because he's the creator of all things, and he can do as as uh, as my girls would tell us in our catechism. He is able to do all of his holy will. Right. So uh, he freely by his grace through the redemption. Right. God is regaining something that belongs to him. Right. Reconciling something to himself. In exchange for a payment. Alright? By, or sorry, um, uh, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Everybody say that with me. Propitiation. 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 Okay? Propitiation is a wrath-removing sacrifice. I love that word. Man, that's a good word. Propitiation. Uh, Wrath removing sacrifice. Alright? So, whom God set forth as a wrath removing sacrifice by his blood through faith, right? We'll get to that next week, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, patient self control. Ooh, that's a needed word in our culture today, isn't it? Patient self control, restraint, and tolerance, right? So, in his divine forbearance, in his patient self-control God had passed over sins that were previously committed to demonstrate now at the present time uh, that his righteousness, that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Think back about David. We're going to get to this in 2 second, in second Samuel very soon where David uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba then has uh, Bathsheba's husband killed. He has a hit put out on his best friend so adultery and murder, or at least conspiracy to commit murder, right? If you're if you're listening to Law and Order, sometimes, right? Right? Isn't that, is that that's what you're going through these days, right? So um, we'll edit that out. Um, so adultery and murder, and so uh, Nathan the prophet comes to him and, and tells him the story about this lamb, right? That was that was stolen, and. David's angry. He's like, who did this? The man who did this deserves to die. And Nathan points to him and says, you are the man. This is not the you're the man that we would like to hear, right? So He says, you are the man. And so David is cut to the heart and he says, I have sinned. He's re- he repents of his sin. And what does Nathan say? The Lord has put your sin away. Adultery and murder just got swept under the rug by a holy God. Romans 3 is where we see that fleshed out. This is how God can say, the Lord has put your sin away. This is where David can come back later on and say, blessed are those whose sin is forgiven. Amen. All right, so we see that, right? Um, let's, let's keep looking forward. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. He who, or who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Talking about Jesus. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. So these passages, and this is just a sample of them, but they overwhelmingly show us that Jesus Christ, who is fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to bear God's wrath so that God could be just in loving those who trust in Jesus. It's demonstrating his righteousness now because he's put all, David's, uh, David's adultery and murder, all the sins we've ever committed, I placed upon Jesus in one finite space and time. All of that upon Christ. So that God is then demonstrated again to be just and the one who is able to declare the one righteous who puts their faith in Jesus. This is how how God answers the the riddle of the entire Bible. How can God be righteous and good, or holy and righteous and gracious and merciful? It's through the, the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. All right? So, and then God declared this victory. Remember, the gospel is what? It's news. It's news of a victory that's happened in battle. God declares victory over sin, death, and the grave by raising Jesus from the grave to demonstrate his victory over death. So we see that in 1 Peter 3.18. I've given you a whole bunch of verses, but we're going to just use uh, 1 Peter uh, 3.18 and uh, maybe one other. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Right? And then First 1 Peter 1, 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant, abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do we know that that, that Jesus' propitiation was accepted by God? Because he was raised from the dead. And then lastly, I wanted to share with you again Acts 17.31 Remember a couple weeks ago we started out with Paul sharing the gospel in Athens. Right? starts out talking about this God who created everything that exists and then he ends his gospel presentation here. He says, because he, God, has appointed appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So we have salvation accomplished, but now we we have to ask this question. How then is this salvation applied to those who want it? And that, we'll come back on that next time. So, um, ooh, running out of time. Application. We'll go ahead and do these quickly. Um, weaving this thread into your life. Again, we have, we've gotten three threads so far. God, man, and now Christ. And So, the goal is, again, that we start weaving these threads, not just through our understanding of the Bible, but through our, through our daily conversation. It's easier to start talking about the gospel to someone if, if the gospel has already been weaved through your, your, your regular conversation. How can we make these things habits? Okay? So if Christ then is all we have, then every conversation is a spiritual conversation. If Christ is all we have, then every conversation is a spiritual conversation. Right? Not a lot of great creativity on my part here. I'm just, I'm, uh, David Platt actually did a great job on on these. And so I'm largely just handing them off to you. Okay. So uh, leverage then also every opportunity to tell the good news of Christ. Um, Next, I just, I love the hymn, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. And that's basically what we're talking about here. Um, And as we talk about Christ, look for opportunities to point to Jesus' example. And not just, exa- not just an example in the story, but indicate that he is a real man who really lived, a real historical man. Think about, again, I mean, his humanity. He was rejected. He felt tired. He suffered and died. He experienced every temptation that we could yet without sin. And there's where the example comes in, right? He identifies with us. yes. And we're thankful for that, but at the same time, He is still God, and He does it without sin. Where we have failed, where all of mankind has failed, Jesus succeeds, and He completely trusted in God in every situation. Amen. All right? So, stories of Christ. Stories of Christ meet people where they are. I love that about these stories, that there are so many different ways. Depending on who you're talking to, there's probably a great story that connects with them and their heart right where they are, right. So, I mean, facing storms, it's not it's not how are you going to get out there and do your thing, right? How are you going to deal with the storms of life? No, Jesus is the one who who commands storms in their day, day. And when He doesn't, then He calls us out to where He is, that we would trust in Him even in the midst of the craziness, right? So. Jesus calms storms. Even the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus heals her and identifies himself with her and us in this. Okay? All right. Look for opportunities to acknowledge Jesus' work in us. We'll get to more of that next week as well, but I want to draw that here as we're talking about Jesus. Give credit to Christ for all that is good in your life. Praise God. All right, talking about Jesus's death now. Okay, the key here is the weight of sin. This is necessary because of how how devastating sin is. Francis Schaeffer, uh, 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 an apologist, said it this way: I, If I had an hour to be able to tell talk to somebody about the gospel, I'd spend the first forty five minutes talking about the bad news, talking about the negative part. I spend the first 45 minutes or so on the negative. Then spend 15 minutes on the positive. Which means we've got to know our stuff, right? All right, so 45 and 15, they must understand the bad news to be able to appreciate how good the good news is. And if we can't communicate it, do we really understand it? That's a good question, and don't and don't use that don't don't take that as a, as a as a reason to stop, right? Just means we go back to the manual, right? We go back to the book. I need to learn more. I need I need people to help me, right? That's why we're doing this here tonight. And if if you want a more hands on approach, I need somebody to show me what it means to be a Christian. What it means, how what it looks like to share the gospel, what it looks like to read the Bible, what it looks like to pray and to be part of the local church, and all these things—I or somebody else would love to do that with you. That is available, okay? So, if you—that's something that you're interested in—I want you to prayerfully consider that and come and talk with me or Pastor Cody about that. We'll set you up. All right. Um, never stop talking about your gratitude for Christ. And the question being, then, do the people around you, the people in your, in your sphere of influence, do they know your gratitude for Christ? Do they know that you're thankful? Does it show in your daily life? Man, that's convicting, isn't it? That's not, I mean, it's convicting for me, too. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Talking about Jesus' resurrection, then. Speak about difficulties with hope. We are, it is okay for us to grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Right? We, go, we can go through bad times with hope and make sure that you talk about it that way. And then also, we can speak about death with joy. We can speak about death with joy. Man, the death and resurrection of Jesus changes Everything is transforming Everything. So, um, we are out of time for tonight. Uh, but if if you're if you if it, if you don't have pressing engagements elsewhere, um, your bed's still going to be there. Um, but uh, take some time. Even as you're walking down the hall to go pick up kids from Awana, take some time and think about these things together with somebody. Talk to somebody tonight about what's a way that we can take this and apply it to daily life. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you made him who knew no sin to be be sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, help us to understand this. Help us to apply this to our daily lives. And Lord, help us to diligently teach these things to others whether it be in sharing the gospel with people, whether it be with teaching our children, teaching and and encouraging one another with this. Um, Lord, help us to be a church that understands, applies, and teaches. We pray in Jesus' name.